place like home. Take me home. Homeward bound. I'm going home. God bless us, everyone. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to season three of the Family Road Trip Podcast. No way, season three? Season three. Flex on, flex off. Inconceivable. You never know what you're going to get. We're on a mission from God. Three's a good number. It's an awesome number. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter, and we are blessed beyond words to have four, dare I say once again, heroic couples who agreed... Craziness. Yes. Some with a little arm twist, others with more excitement, but it's all in the mix, right? So, Steph, we're about seven weeks away from Christmas or Christ's Mass. We have a great adventure ahead of us. Advent. You like how I tied it in? Adventure. And if families are like ours, most families, it's going to start to get chaotic and crazy and busy and exciting. The warmth of Christmas, we all love that. But, you know, what will make this Christmas different from any other Christmas is a good question to ask right now. And what would we like to get out of the next seven or eight weeks leading into the heart of Christ's Mass? And what might we do now to prepare that way. And I want to offer that maybe this year we can really experience the unsurpassed gift of Christmas presents, E-N-C-E versus Christmas presents. Now, we're not saying don't give physical presents. They're an awesome sign of love, right? But we invite all of you on this journey with us, a seven-week journey deeper into the heart of Christ's Mass to consider the unsurpassed gift of Christmas presents. So I can ask you a Question, Steph, do you like to open up presents? Of course. What was your favorite childhood Christmas present? So we uh, grew up on very simple means. Twelve kids. Right. Um, So our gifts were very, very, very simple. But one year, and I thought this was the coolest thing ever, um, I got a can of Pringles because, like... I'd never had them and I'd seen them and it was just kind of a crazy, cool, special present. And of course, I have to say a baby doll. Awesome. So we all love presents. We all love the mystery and the wonder of a present under the tree or anywhere and it's wrapped. What does it do? It evokes a sense of mystery and wonder. You know, what's in it? Well, I want to submit to all of you on this road trip with us. We are inviting you to join us on the seven-week journey to think of our marriages and families like an unwrapped present. As much as we think we know each other, there's a horizon of personality and relationship yet to be discovered. And maybe we're not taking the time in the midst of the devices. Maybe with all the pixels, we're missing the people. Um, and, And so let's open our hearts to consider the great gift that resides in the hearts of our children and of our spouses and to learn to maybe ask the right questions that are going to open that door to consider that and to structure our atmospheres, our home cultures to really experience that. We're going to press into the storm. If you go to presentsforchristmas.com, that's where we invite you to join us. You're going to see an image of a road heading into the tumult of a storm. And, you know, that's just a true picture of us families, right? We're busy. We've got a lot going on. Many of our kids, maybe we've unfortunately allowed the leash to go too far in the digital realm. We've lost that relational connection. We yearn for that intimacy. And to press into that, to to gain it back, 
may require a little bit of getting past our fears and the obstacles uh, and the awkwardness. Um, But God promises us in this season, he promises us his very presence alive in one another. So that shapes this journey. You're with uh, Greg and Stephanie on the Family Road Trip Podcast Season 3. These four couples who said yes to doing this every week, to talking and praying as a family, using this thing called a Live It Gathering Guide. And again, we invite you to sign up to join us at presentsforchristmas.com. I promise you, he's going to pour out his grace and his blessings. So with no further ado... We're going to meet our fellow road trippers. Let's begin with the Waskoviches. So, can we just say that name one more time? It is fun. Waskovich. Love it. Love Everybody it. out there, just say it. It just makes you feel good. Waskovich. Yes. You know, it's got warmth, but yet strength. Yes. Warmth and strength. Yes. Okay, we digress. Um, Waskoviches, who are you people? Well, this is Janine and Mike Waskovich. We've been married 23 years. We have eight children. And we live in Huron and we go to St. Peter's Church. We have five daughters. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> I have five uh, folks that are going to be taking care of me and Janine uh, when we're in our elder years. That's beautiful. That's a great person. And you buy a lot of Drano. We do. We have two in college. We have three in high school. We have a sixth grader, a third grader, and a kindergartner. Who is most likely to be the instigator of the group? Voted instigate the Waskovich instigator. It would be Jack. I was going to answer that for you just from the stories I heard. What is a fun family story or just a memorable family story of this past summer? Well, this is Mike. Uh, I think when I think about this past summer with our family, we were lucky enough to all uh, travel to the big island in Hawaii. Awesome. I have uh, two children that are college students in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the rest of us are up in Ohio. So for all of us to be together uh, was really exceptional. Good evening. Um, I'm Jesse Blazik. And I'm Drew Blazik. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about the Blazik clan. Uh, So we have been married 10 years in May. So we are just shy of our 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. Um, We have four children with another one on the way starting at age eight girl and then we have a seven-year-old boy a four-year-old boy an almost two-year-old boy and then what we are expecting is a little girl we're on a mission for the that's great that's Mom. beautiful and i have to note that both of you are fairly new to the catholic church how many years yeah this this easter would be my uh, fourth year, and then Jesse, this will be her third. That's so beautiful. Awesome, awesome. Okay, Blazics, give us a fun memory from this past summer. Well, I, asked, I talked to the kids about it at dinner tonight, so I could get their input on it, too. <laughs> you um, took a poll. <laughs> That's yes. great. Um, so they had said that their favorite memory was when we went to Mammoth Cave. So we did a little trip over in that area and went to the Creation Museum, the Newport Aquarium, and then the Mammoth Cave. So that was probably our most memorable um, trip this summer. I got one. I think it was May when we moved. So it was kind of fun to see the kids move to a, a different house, and it brought a lot, a lot of memories when I was kid i'm we moved a lot different areas so 
it was kind of fun seeing the kids just move to a new house and how exciting it was. It's one of the few man-made images that can still be seen from outer space in a telescope. Awesome, big, bright, yellow house, <laughs> the Blazik abode. No, so I'm just, I'm just going to throw in there, one of our family's favorite memories was you guys moving as our neighbors-ish right through the woods. Yes. So we're blessed. Yeah. We're blessed. So blessed. So Going all the way to Huron, Ohio, Finley's, who are you people? Tell us about yourselves. Hi, okay. We're Steve and Lorna Finley. And yeah, we live in Huron, Ohio. We go to St. Pete's in Huron with the awesome Father Jeff Macbeth. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, six children and 13 saints in heaven. I got to pause you on that. Just just for our listeners and us to absorb that. You have 13 beautiful saints in heaven, miscarriages. Just wow. How awesome. I mean, that you have these personal family saints that are looking down upon you. God bless us. Everyone. It's a beautiful blessing, um, an agonizing grief, mm-hmm. but amazing, glorious blessing also to realize the truth of our, of what we're given in this in this existence that they're not so far away, and that they're up there praying for us. Because I think uh, we really need those prayers in this family. Mm-hmm. So we're super blessed <laughs> to beautiful. have those thirteen ones looking out for us. Uh, direct line to God, but um, we've been married um, 20 years. Ooh, ooh. Congratulations. We got 10, we got 20. This is awesome. Yep. And our children range from uh, almost uh, 19, or 19, to uh, 5. Five years old. Very beautiful. So, Finley's, give us, we'll ask Steve first, a great fun memory from this past summer. So, for us, this summer was kind of new. It was a first because we have our, our two oldest away at college and kind of coming back. We had a family get together on the birthday of my dad. He passed away about four years ago. We had um, times with my father this summer. My mother has passed away, but um, we still, as um, my extended family, my sisters, we all get together at his house. And um, after Lucas had summer classes at school, he came home, and there was a good solid week where most of the grandkids and the siblings were able to be there and just enjoy and play and have bonfires and just, you know, Great images. Beautiful. Anna was like doing nothing. Was the best part. Good summer images. Thank you, Finleys. When we can be together. Awesome. Let's move on to the Grodies. Who are you, people? I'm Teresa Grodi. And John Mark Grodi. Welcome. Um, We have been married for nine years. Mm -hmm. I think. (laughs) Love it. Beautiful. Five. Five children. Uh, The oldest is a boy. He's eight. And then three little girls, six, four, and two. And then we have a nine-week-old baby boy. We're on a mission. So we go to St. Rose of Lima Parish in Harrisburg. Very cool. Grown-Eyes, give us a great summer memory. Yeah, so we're real big on, on community in our parish and hospitality. Um, we're a, a growing family. Uh, the family's growing, but the, the house is staying the same size, which is small. <laughs> and so is the van, and so is the backyard. And so over the summer, we were trying to look for a way to make the backyard more 
more fun and hospitable for the family and for the community. And we had a lot of ideas, but it kind of came down to we wanted to build a real nice playset. So we finally picked one out. And it came in a giant pallet. And then over the course of a week and a half, I and Dominic, my eldest son, and the girls carrying things back and forth, and my seminarian brother, Peter, awesome, uh, who was in town helping, and then a number of other guys from the community. Over the course of a week and a half, we finally got it up, and then a few weeks later, we celebrated our big summer birthday bash. We have a bunch of kids' birthdays grouped in August, and we had a big birthday party for them. And then to have a bunch of families there with all the kids in the backyard playing on the big playset that we'd all kind of collectively build. That's awesome. That was awesome. So there you have a wonderful Sojourners with us along this journey. The Waskoviches, Blazics, Finleys, and Grodis all saying yes to this in a heroic way, to this challenge of breaking through all of the competing things in our lives on a weekly basis to put a flag in the sand and to gather with their families to talk and pray. So they've already by now done what we're going to ask you to do, to go to presentsforchristmas.com and see the Live It Gathering Guide. There's a one-pager that describes, um, makes it easy to understand uh, what it's all about. You know, we have three simple rules. The first one is is just love, you know, and that's not just from the speaker, the person who's sharing standpoint, but those who are hearing the one in the family who's talking, give the gift of listening. Just if we stop there, how many of us would recognize the value in our homes if those in our families would give the gift of listening intently to somebody who's sharing something? The second rule is the environment. It's so important. Um, if we have, you know, digital devices on and radios on and distractions around us, it's going to be a little difficult. So we encourage you all, light a candle, you know, dim the lights a little bit, have favorite food, candy, some some snacks that they look forward to and circle up. We know that this is going to be a challenge depending on age ranges. We get that. But create an environment that says, this is different. This is sacred. So number two is environment. And the third, if you look at this, um, there's a number of facets to this. There's family fun questions, daily questions. There's reading the subsequent Sunday readings with questions that help tap thoughts there. And then it concludes with commitments, a distinct commitment that we're going to uh, grow in. We want to grow in in the next week. Why is that so awesome because when we share a challenge in a way we want to grow well our families are more merciful to us they kind of understand maybe if dad's a little grumpy or ornery secondly they're going to pray for us and thirdly you know i'm kind of held accountable if that was my thing if i was grumpy or angsty or something you know hopefully i'm not going to keep saying you know i'm my commitment this week is i'm not going to be as grumpy i'm going to really kind of take some authority in my life take control so that's a bit of the shape of the one page live it gathering guide and that third rule is make it your own you know if, if you find that kids are sharing or you're sharing something and it's very meaningful um let it roll you know, uh, maybe you won't get to the first or second readings. In fact, you know, I'll say truthfully, we rarely do in one sitting. We'll go right to the gospel and uh, just focus on that. And maybe that raises a certain question that comes up from reading the gospel. So there you go, folks. That's what the Live It Gathering Guide is about. It's an occasion to encounter God more fully alive in our relationships, an occasion for discovering his glory alive in us. And these couples have made the commitment to do this every week for seven weeks. Hopefully, our prayer is that they're going to experience such joy, such delight, that they're going to want to keep doing this past these seven weeks. But it is truly the gift of presence, of giving presents for Christmas. Come on, people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together, try to love one another right.
Christmas is all about driving. We're on a mission from God. What are maybe some personal uh, challenges and family challenges you think you're going to face? Let's start. Ladies first. Janine. Okay, well, my husband does travel a lot, so that would be challenging just to make sure that he's here and uh, present, you know, not tired, and um, just keeping it real. I want to make sure, you know, that we do that, and that sometimes can be challenging and just not going through the motions. So, Michael, row your boat ashore. What do you got for us? I think... It's actually pretty exciting to get the family to talk and, um, you know, really be honest. And as Janine said, keep it real. We, that that will be a challenge uh, to keep it fresh uh, week in and week out. For me personally, um, I, I really want to, you know, continue to be the, the leader of the family. And I want to make sure I'm challenging myself, being honest and, and really bringing up examples that the kids can relate to and making sure that while that's for me, it's also for them. I think that it might be a challenge for me if I am looking at it to where I have this perfect little setting. Mm -hmm. Do I have lit my candle? I have everything prepared (laughs) and I know what I want to talk about. And then my seven, eight year olds get into an argument and then I get frustrated. And And we are done. (laughs) And then it doesn't look like this perfect picture. So I think that will probably be the, the hardest challenge for myself personally to step back and say it might not look like what I and envisioning mm-hmm. it to look like, but it will look what our family needs it to look like for right now. Amen. Um, so Beautiful. I think for me personally, that will be my hardest challenge is to live it <laughs> while yeah. I am trying to teach my kids to live it. Beautiful. True. Uh, biggest challenge would be, I'm real excited about it, but the biggest challenge, I think anything that you want to do that's important, you just got to do it. Mm. And what's nice about joining a group that kind of makes you have to do it. Um, but I, I would say just the biggest challenge is just doing it mm-hmm. and planning it just to have that schedule. They know it's coming up on a certain whatever day mm-hmm. of the week and just plan it out and um, just do it. Awesome. Headlocks are really good too, Drew. Just you know, get the little ones, one in each arm. You got two arms for a reason. That's awesome. I'm just kidding. And That's you'll awesome. find, as I know, with the former two seasons, finding that time and place that works best for your family. Some people mm-hmm. did it over a Sunday morning breakfast. Others found that, you know, when they started too late at night, it was a disaster <laughs> in their eyes. Um, but just, you know, that's Lean awesome. Into Lean into Go it. Go into the storm. Hear the thunder and the lightning and keep going. That's awesome. Thank you, Blazix. Look around you. Look up here. Take time to make time. Make time to be there. Steve and Lorna Finley. Look around. I think for us, this time of year, it's always tricky to do things together as a family. Both the boys have swimming. Um, I think Aaron's starting basketball. So we have a lot of sports, winter sports going on. Mm -hmm. And that makes it tricky to set times. Like, even when we all sit down for dinner, I mean, sometimes it makes for late dinners. We've managed it before, and I, I think we can do it again. I have a feeling we're going to hear dittos down the line here because uh, you're right on there, Steve. Thank you. Lorna? Um, yeah, exactly. Um, it's about letting it be what God wants it to be um, and uh, just kind of being open to what that 
ends up looking like. They sometimes get a little less than respectful, <laughs> a little less than, you know, um, attend, you know, there's, there's those reestablishing the rules mm-hmm. and it's actually a, an awesome opportunity because they, they are very receptive to it. And when you get through that, um, resistance or whatever the fruit of it is so awesome mm-hmm. that you know they all feel it and they know it even if they some of them are too cool to show it so uh <laughs> or to, to say it but um but yeah so i think it's just um you know reestablishing those rules of respecting each other listening and um and on for the littlest one she tends to be very quiet and when everybody wants to ask her you know what is your you know whatever the question might be what did you get what did you hear what's your favorite um whatever she'll (laughs) she'll just quiet down and she'll want to whisper it in my ear so it's (laughs) a challenge and a and a great opportunity to help her to get her voice beautiful um, which is which is sweet Well put, I don't think that can be punctuated enough, Lorna, in the heart of a mom and a dad, to help our children discover that they do have a voice to tap them and listen intently, to evoke from them their thoughts, their feelings, their their concerns, in itself is just such a beautiful thing. And working with them to have a comfort level and to go deeper with that. So thanks for raising that. I think that's amazing. Thank you, Finleys. The wonderful growed eyes, John, Mark, and Teresa. What do you see as potential challenges or obstacles? You know, it's easy to have high ideals that you pick out and you want to do for your family. Um, and to want and expect things to just work perfectly the first time and to also go into that without real, a, really a concrete plan and then for things not to go great and then for you to get discouraged mm-hmm. and for you to just kind of throw it off which we did I think a year or two ago we, we tried out the, the lit guide and we didn't really have a plan or a time or really the resolution to, to embrace the process rather than some mythical outcome mm. and we got discouraged and so I think this time um, I think you know that that's the challenge that hopefully we're going to grapple better with this time is that you know when you when you take up a project and you take up a new course a new change in your life part of the act of prudence is taking seriously the challenges is going that are going to arise and the fact that it's a process and not some instantaneous fix right. and then so you're ready to embrace the process and so um, I think that's one thing and then another part of it too is that then with that process, you know, getting more granularly here in ter- terms of the family, when you turn and face your family and you try to bring something intentional, like a, like a discussion and a prayer time into it, part of the initial discomfort and difficulty is looking square in the face your own faults. Mm-hmm. You know, you get around the table and you hear harsh words and you hear impatience with each other and you hear talking to each other and trying to hurry through things and you're thinking, oh, this is I'm reaping what I've sown mm. I'm seeing it all here and that's difficult that can be disheartening right. you know right. and so trying to push through that and say you know that this is you know we're these bad we know where these bad habits came from you know but as a family we're going to kind of push past something greater so honest and and thank you for that John Mark uh, and for us parents again how awesome would it be if among our closest friends and families and associations we could raise these conversations 
realizing we're all pursuing the heart of God, we're all pursuing saintliness, and to kind of look in the mirror and say, yeah, you know, our children's virtues and vices, and often we see the vices, you know, are a result of either uh, things we've said and done or things, quite frankly, we failed to do. And so that is the gift of gathering as parents. And I also like that you just, you know, give ourselves permission um, to, you know, we may be discouraged by our standards, but let it be God's standard. Uh, lean into it and let him guide it and design it and don't pull away because he's doing some great things there. But thank you, John Mark. Teresa. Oh, I don't think we're going to have any challenges. <laughs> we put the four-year-old and the two-year-old in the toy room to play while the... <laughs> no, but I mean, that's probably in my in my mind, um, our, my biggest challenge is just figuring out how to deal with all the little kids um, so that the older ones get... Um, the older ones who can think rationally get, you know, part bit. of the discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. Folks, we're going to go around one more time. Again, you're with Greg and Stephanie Schleter in four wonderful sojourners on the Family Road Trip podcast. We're just getting to know each other uh, at the outset here, not really having dived, dove in, what is the word, dived into it yet. It's, that sounds wrong, of course. <laughs> Leaning into it. We're about ready to lean into this and to see Christ conquer it in us. Okay, going around one last time, we have hopes and expectations and prayers both personally and as a family. So what would some of those be for you, Mike and Janine? Awaken my soul Come away To hunger To see To see I just want to make sure that we're doing a good job with our children and raising the next generation, you know, um, being, keeping it real and maybe making some leaders out of my kids and having them take that out with them when they're going to school. I want to all get closer to Christ and just mm-hmm. become the best version of ourselves. Beautiful. It's awesome. Mike. Yeah, it's kind of hard to follow that. She, she always hits a, a grand slam, and I come up there. <laughs> <laughs> Singles are important, too. Bunting is good, Mike. I'm trying to not strike out. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to myself and my wife and my children each get a more deeper or more personal relationship with God to feel like you don't just have to wrote, uh, memorize prayers, but actually just deepen your relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, I want to have some fun. Uh, yes. That if we can grow some leaders and uh, some folks that really can spread the faith in a very real way, not preachy, but actually like this is what we're doing on our way to sainthood, we think that that would be a big win for us. I would hope that I just really know uh, 
my my children and my wife even on a, a more different or intimate level mm-hmm. because of what we've shared with each other over this the last several weeks that we just feel like we really know what Christmas is about it's it's uh, God's gift of his only son uh, mm-hmm. to us and for all mankind and how can we see that in each other's eyes and mm-hmm. really just you know accept that and now take that extraordinary opportunity and live out our brief life here uh, to the the most fullest way we can and really again as you say Greg claim territory for him true just for the family to be more open uh, to each other in prayer Uh, have the kids maybe communicate better with each other of what is going on with their lives or how they view things or Mm. just uh, more conversation on more intimate and more deep topics that the kids can realize that they could pray for each other Mm. and see each other have issues in their lives. So I guess that's what I'm That's beautiful. Awesome. Me personally, maybe a better understanding with my my kids, better understanding what they're thinking, mm-hmm. better uh, better communication with them. That's uh, awesome, Jesse. On a simpler day to day interactions with my kids, um, especially the two older ones, uh, they're 13 months apart, so they can tend to butt heads a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to see um, just a just the interactions between them change and I think that this could be something that when we work with it and once they get more comfortable with it that I think that I could see some interactions between them become more friendly and not so sibling rivalry all the time awesome (laughs) Um, it's a great hope that's awesome for me personally I I think um I'm hoping just for the the honest and accountability of that, um, you know, commitment for the following week to really show for my kids and for my husband. Finley's come seven weeks from now on the eve of Christ's Mass. What do you maybe anticipate are the gifts that God may want to lay at your feet as a result of this journey? Yeah, John Mark touched on something that is real close to me also, and that's our faith journey being a process. And... Um, I, I really enjoy seeing that unfold in my life. You know, it's mm-hmm. hard for me to necessarily like look and see like, okay, God, I, I want this because so many times I, I've had my eyes on one thing and he's led me down another path and he's kind of healed me in a different area that I didn't mm-hmm. realize that like, oh, <laughs> yep. yeah, that's right. <laughs> Beautiful. So, for me, I, I'm just looking forward to that that next thing being unveiled for me. You know, That's just awesome. Myself up for this, and um, you know, helping the family commit to it, and just seeing where he leads us. Awesome. For your family, where do you hope the family is at seven weeks from now? Allow everybody to kind of reconnect on a you know at a more personal and intimate level right mm-hmm. before Christmas. You know, to help enter into that awesome. spirit of more. Lorna. So for myself, I um, am hoping that I will be able to grow more in trust with the Lord. He's in all things, and He's always love, and that He's, you know, got our back. You know, just to have that continual peace that comes from Christ so I can more effectively and more gracefully. Um, about my day and my interactions with others and for my family i'm hopeful that they as well will um 
the grow bond, their bond of, of love for each other will be more shown. Finally, the Groat Eyes. What is a grace that you hope that maybe is laid at your feet on the eve of Christmas as a result of this great adventure, this journey together? For me personally, I really hope to grow in tenderness. Beautiful um, word. I tend to be like a type A kind of person who's, you know, like quick, quick to get irritated, quick to want to move along, quick to, you know, say, I'm sorry, forgive me, I forgive you, let's just move along, you know, without kind of tending to any emotional, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, aspects. Um, so beautiful. And so something that, well, I mean, it just, it became really apparent that um, the first two weeks of doing this, like the ways that I've hurt my children, like when they, you know, say, mommy, aren't you going to, you know, forgive, you know, aren't you going to say you, you're sorry for this, you know, kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I'm oddly looking forward to that because I need to know, you know, how I'm hurting them mm. on a daily basis, mm. you know, because I'm, I'm not an emotionally in tune person. Mm. Um, powerful and stuff. then, well, similarly, like for my children, um, I'm hoping that they get better at expressing themselves emotionally. Because mm-hmm. um, again, they are my children. <laughs> they get it from mommy. They're you know, great so. kids. Thank you, Teresa. That's very powerful. Very powerful. And I think so many can relate to that on different levels. But I think we all have that and desire that, especially with the mother's heart. A quick note on that, too, for our listeners, I didn't mention this on the sheet, the gathering guide, but part of that is going around and apologizing and forgiving. And I will say, Steph and I have done that in our home from the very beginning. And it is such a key thing for our children, for us leading by example, for our children to hear us acknowledge the ways we've hurt them and apologize. And among themselves, how they uh, need to express that, that apologies. And sometimes they miss it, right? Sometimes, you know, we say, okay, now who didn't express something who's been hurt? And, you know, don't make excuses. Just listen if you've hurt somebody. Let them just say that you've hurt them and all you need to do is apologize. What that's done is foster in our home kind of that, that culture of getting rid of all the debris, all the stuff, the junk in the way. And particularly on the way to Mass, we find that we've continued that component so that when we're in Mass, we can be with integrity uh, receiving the grace when we're praying our Father, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others, um, that it's authentic. It's not just words that we're, we're easily reciting, but our kids learn that the power of this faith of ours, the ritual that God has given us, um, has something to do with the joy and delight of relationships. So I really thank you for giving great witness to that, Teresa. Show me who I am and who I could be. Initiate the heart within me till it opens properly. John Mark. Yeah, Greg, you know, something I have embraced intellectually for a long time and in discussion with other men is, you know, the role, the important role of the father of the family in setting the bar and the tone, mm. you know, for whether how the family is able to be vulnerable and to pray and to sing and to, you know, to kind of, for people to express themselves. To some degree, you know, the, the father has an important role in setting that tone and kind of giving people permission by his example uh, to do those things. And again, I've embraced that intellectually for a long time, Mm -hmm. but practically I've been pretty poor at, well, no, very poor at practicing. (laughs) You know, and so as you you like to say, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to planting 
uh, for my part, planting the flag in the sand and saying, I, I'm going to take the lead here. I'm going to step out. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to put myself out there first. And so that's that's my personal hope is that I that this is a time when I can really plant my flag in the it's sand. Powerful. My family on my end. And then my hope for the family is then again that, that that gives this permission for us to be, for everyone to do that more, to reveal more of themselves, to apologize, to, to in some ways to ask more of one another, you know, to more vulnerably let each other know what we need. You know, I, I had a really poignant example recently uh, because we, we've we've previewed this a little bit. We've done a, actually a couple the, the lit gathering guide a couple weeks now, just trying to get you know our mind around a little bit with the kids. overachievers. I, I haven't expected the kids to pick up that much, but you know, recently I, you know, we had had a battle at bedtime and I had spoken harshly, and then I real had realized that and I had gone back in to apologize. And my daughter put her hand on my face and said, "Daddy, I can't wait for the discussion tonight. Then you can, then you can say sorry." <laughs> oh, so the fruit! Love it. It didn't take long for, I guess, you know. So a point of hope there that, you know, I, I think that is my hope that by us planting our flag in the sand, taking the first step, revealing ourselves, saying sorry, that we're we're opening up that route to all of our children to to have more of that. To let their inner life out and for us as a family to be able to pray and discuss. That was awesome. Folks, so awesome that you are along this journey with us, this first stop of a seven-week adventure, Advent. Sure, into the heart of Christ Mass. He God so much desires that we know him and we're pining from all the time, aren't we? We are. At some level we're pining to know his presence and his love. And you know, the provision for that poverty is our families, is our marriages and families. And so together, we're inviting you to join us in learning of this, in opening those doors, asking questions, creating an environment in a context of encounter during this amazing season of His grace outpoured. If that speaks to you, even if you have fear, trepidation, feel awkward about it, you're in the right place. So are we. But God's going to God's going to press into that. So go to presenceforchristmas.com, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E-F-O-R, christmas.com. Sign up, make the commitment. It's absolutely free. Join us as we do this every Tuesday night. You're going to hear us in this Family Road Trip podcast as part of Ignite Radio Live. And uh, we look forward to journeying with you together. If you have any questions, if you need some insights, contact us alive at massimpact.us. And uh, again, just so blessed to be with you tonight. And uh, we look forward to the next stop. God bless us. Christmas Eve will find me Where the love light gleams I'll be home for Christmas If only in my dreams with us folks on ignite radio live very blessed that you are with us we just listened to the family road trip podcast 
Again, we just encourage you all to go to presentsforchristmas.com and join us on that great journey. But now we have a wonderful guest whom I have known by reputation and interacted through some social media in the past, Paul Thigpen. Welcome to the program. Great to be here, Greg. Thanks for having me. It is so good to have you with us. Hell is a very real reality in the world around us, and very few have done as great of work as you uh, in unpacking this and understanding it from the vantage of the saints, from Scripture, from what our church teaches us. And so, you know, your recent book, um, Saints Who Saw Hell and Other Catholic Witnesses to the Fate of the Damned, sounds pretty ideal for Halloween. And your 54th book, I understand, so congratulations on that. But other titles that also put this on center stage. So I guess my first question is, before we even get there, give us a little bit of your background for our listeners. Well, goodness, uh, Greg, I was uh, raised in a, a Christian home, Presbyterian at the time. Very, very religious little boy. Wanted to be a pastor when I was young. Cute little Paul. Uh, age of 12. Wow. Yeah, well, actually, I was little Tommy. I went by my first name then. I, uh, I became an atheist at the age of 12. Uh, had uh, read some stuff. Wow. Enlightenment, French Enlightenment uh, skeptics that some teacher had given me to read for a class in seventh grade. My goodness. Uh, Highbrow reading for a 12-year-old. Well, it was it was kind of yeah, I was kind of an unusual guy. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, so during those those six years, tried to live out as a, you know young kid could the implications of there not being a, a a god, and I didn't think there was life after death. I didn't think there was any human spirit that you know survived death. I didn't think uh, there was anything like angels or demons, anything supernatural. Um, but it still had a hunger for transcendence and mm-hmm. uh, for something beyond the everyday around me and uh, because of that began to get involved in uh, for my seventh grade science project I looked at um, parapsychology and to, to look at things that seem to go beyond the normal but I thought they're still you know science will understand them if we just study them mm-hmm. so my seventh grade science project was about that and uh, it opened doors the kind of things I was looking at uh, eventually opened doors into the occult mm. and uh, into my senior year of high school I ran into some demonic powers had an encounter Wow that um, convinced me that my my little what had been a very tidy little view of the world being just matter and energy and nothing beyond was that was shattered I thought there's something else out there Wow and it, uh, it's it's coming after me so I in a way I kind of came to believe when I came back to faith came to believe in the devil before I came to believe in God and mm. and thought you know if there's a devil and there's no God I'm really in trouble right <laughs> right what was what was going on in with your family during that time of questioning and turning away from and well, um... I, I kept it uh, I kept it to myself I knew that it would mm. um, really hurt my parents to know that I continued to go to church where I wasn't the kind of kid that was going to just defy them and say, I'm not going to church. Right, right. My dad wasn't the kind of dad who would have put up with that. Right. <laughs> God bless your dad. <laughs> but in my own, you know, my own way, uh, when we would go to recite the, usually the Apostles' Creed in that denomination, um, I would fall silent. Mm. And in my own mind, you know, I, I just don't believe this, but I, I, you know, but, didn't want to break their hearts. And so I didn't tell them. Well, that showed some integrity too, not to, you know, voice those words. <laughs> Well, it was uh, it was a, you know a crazy time for me. It was sure. the, we're talking about the '60s, the late '60s and early '70s, and say no uh, more, right? Turmoil in all kinds of ways. 
it was probably for me a kind of adolescent rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to give. It was very popular then, you know, alcohol and drugs, as it continued to be. There was no way I was going to give my mind over to that. Mm-hmm. And I think, without realizing it, my my form of rebellion was in, in rejecting their faith and going a different direction. But uh, the Lord had other plans, thank goodness. And uh, senior of high school then had a number of encounters. I won't go into. Um, plus some experiments in prayer, you might call them, where some got in some difficult situations and uh, said, God, if there is a God, uh, this can't be your will. Please do something. I was praying for some friends on one occasion, and he did. Mm-hmm. And I had to, all of a sudden, I had all this evidence that, that this little worldview I had was much too tidy and small, that there was something more. So I went back to the Gospels to read that I'd read as a kid. Um, had a, a major conversion experience, and that was not into the Catholic faith because I, you know, wasn't really in that setting. But um, many years later, after becoming a, a, a pastor, actually, and getting a PhD in historical theology, I was convinced of the, the truth of the Catholic faith. And wow, I and my wife and my children became Catholic. That was in 1993. Wow, wow. Paul, my my soul in this sitting is is jubilant at God's anointing and grace mm-hmm. and guidance in your life, and uh, we definitely have to get you back and share that full story because it seems like uh, a lot of the the modern objections and questions and struggles and challenges that many of us may face who are listening, you've experienced, and you were appropriately skeptical, you were appropriately uh, wondering and questioning and all of that, and by God's grace, he brought you here in the fullness of the Catholic faith. So, wow, that, that's truly amazing. So let's let's get to this topic at hand, Paul. First of all, you have a number of books and works on the subject of hell and Satan, and obviously I can understand now maybe it was that experience, the via negativa, that made you think, well, God must exist. He sure, I hope he does. I've encountered uh, the enemy. But, you know, share with us why your focus. Well, you know, I always want to remind people that I also, you know, one of my recent books was on the biblical names of Jesus, yeah. beautiful, powerful <laughs> yes. of Christ. I don't want people to know me as that devil guy. Right. <laughs> um, but because not just my initial conversion, but since then, on a number of occasions, the Lord has has arranged to have me in a situation where someone comes to me and says, I'm having these experiences and I don't know what to do with them. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> I mean, with I'm talking about some, some pretty serious uh, preternatural things going on. And so... Um, I've been very aware of how much is going on uh, in our world. As I began to do the research for the books, I realized talking to exorcists that um, there was such a sharp spike and in increase in demands for uh, for deliverance ministry and, and for exorcism. And I'd ask them why, and they'd say, well, because it, you've got this double whammy going on at the same time that you have a lot of people getting into the occult and other things like I did that are opening doors for this mm-hmm. stuff to happen. Uh, uh, more and more people are failing to be raised in the church to have the sacraments mm. and not even baptized. And you put that combination together, and that's a very dangerous you know, combination. And so I began to see that, you know, at the same time that's happening, and yet you have so few people talking about hell. You have so people, few people talking about spiritual warfare. It's, it's all the, the talk now, thank goodness, in Catholic circles. But uh, a few years ago I wrote the book. It wasn't, you know, nearly so... So much the topic of conversation, and I believe the Lord was telling me, you've got to write this. You've got mm-hmm. to write these books. You've got to be countercultural in that regard, and that the very thing that people don't want to talk about in polite society <laughs> right, right. are the things we have to talk about, you know. 
Yeah. So um, I love the formulation that I got from Father Michael Schmitz. I found it very pithy in answering the question, why would God, quote unquote, send somebody to hell? And in simple form for any listening right now, um, God's not a tyrant. It's that simple. God can't force us and will not force us to love him. Therefore, we can choose not to love God. And therefore, that the very nature of choosing against God is, if you will, a state of hell. To some extent, we are all, and in the ways that we choose against God, participating in some respect in hell right now. Um, And there is a place that we know beyond death, we will live forever, we're eternal souls. And uh, at that moment of death, which only God knows, none of us can know truly who is in hell. We do know that people are in hell, at least believing in scripture. Uh, But certainly some have chosen and do choose hell. So can you add anything to that in your understanding and answering the question for those who may object to the existence? of hell, and also add maybe, um, you know, is it is heaven just for those who are kind of good people and walk the old lady across the street? What is the criteria for heaven? Well, great questions here. Uh, uh, I say it's very similar, to, I guess, to what, what Father Mike said, that the reality of hell is a corollary of the, the reality of free will, human free will, that uh, God greatest, uh, created us to be immortal, to live forever, and he gave us also the choice to say yes to him or no to him. To say yes to him uh, for a lifetime, and finally at the, you know, the end of our lifetime, to say yes to him is uh, is to embrace whatever it takes to to live with him forever, face to face. And he is a, uh, which is of course perfect joy, perfect happiness, every every great thing we can imagine. It also the corollary there is purgatory. That most of us, when we die, aren't ready to live face to face with him. We are not perfected in holiness, so that's his call. And so to be able to do that, uh, we we have some cleaning up to do. But if we choose that route to be with him, then heaven is for those who have chosen him forever. The uh, the opposite then is is to choose apart from him to to say I don't want you I don't need you and that direction uh, leads only to eternal misery. He's the source of everything good. He's the mm-hmm. source of of peace, of joy, and and happiness, and of uh, light and life and energy and intelligence and love and every good thing. So if you say no to him, ultimately that's where it leads to to total misery. Mm. And that's what we call hell. Before getting into this book, uh, Paul, just a question I want to pose of you as a um, intellectual PhD uh, father, husband, one who's involved in pastoral ministry, and that is one of the contemporary person who may think that truth is subjective or relative and something we can create versus someone who created us. And by that, I want you to maybe make a comment a little bit about the reality that many of us maybe haven't been formed to really ask, Lord, what have you revealed to be true as an objective good? Not doesn't matter whether I feel it or like it or, or that sort of thing. How do you help people understand that they may live the objective truth that paves the lines to eternity with God? I think I'll often just go to you know personal experience, not, not just mine, but their own, um, and say, you know, let's talk about it. Because really, whether you realize it or not, you really do live according to all kinds of objective truths. Uh, you make choices every day. You make decisions every day that depend on 
truths about things around you, mm. you know, whether it's about the weather or it's about what you're going to eat or whether it's about sleep or things that these, these aren't things that, that are subjective. They're, they're realities out there that uh, you drive a certain way because if you drive a different way, the re- objective reality mm-hmm. is that you work in another car or mm-hmm. a tree or something and you come up against that. It's interesting. The word, word tree has the same root as the word truth. Hmm. Um, go back ultimately into the Indo-European languages, and um, and the idea there was that truth, truth was something that was hard and fast and rooted. And so, That's cool. just as you know, you could say, "Well, I'm going to drive toward that tree, and it's all subjective. It's my truth. You know, my truth is that the tree isn't there." Well, no, <laughs> right? Drive tree it is a hard thing and and so we live our lives every day according to that uh, the question is um, you know when you're talking about things that you don't always see right away are those also objective truths hard realities that we cannot change simply by wishing that we're different it's uh, you know they're they're like the law of gravity or they're spiritual laws of gravity that these are just the way things are mm-hmm. and I can deny them I can uh, try to manipulate them but in the end God calls the shots he's, mm-hmm. he's real he's there beautiful so folks inherent in the word becoming flesh the second person of the Trinity is a God who doesn't want to live without us and takes on flesh and blood why to show us the truth that we might live with him forever and inherent in there I just uh, want to open my heart and mind and invite all of us listening even now to think about and avail to that truth which might and will demand from us repentance, if you will, to turn, literally, to turn from our assumptions that maybe things we think sexually, uh, in any ethical realm of truth, of the way we treat those we work, the way we raise our kids, the decisions we make every day, all bear upon that truth. And ultimately, at the heart of it is what? A hope for the delight and joy that can only be found, as Augustine spoke of, in union with God. And that's really the the basis, I think, for us to understand the decision of heaven and hell. So thank you for all that, Paul. Now dive into this a little bit with us. Whether this book or the other ones that you speak of, what is noteworthy to you? Why did you write this book? And maybe share with us some of the striking content that that might help us or really kind of punctuate these lines. One of the things I discovered in studying the history of theology, of Christian theology, was uh, how how long ago uh, some of the great teachers of the church began to talk about the notion of fear of the Lord. And these days, you know, a lot of folks will say, oh, I'm not going to act out of fear. I want to act out of love. Right. And that's, that's true. And the scripture itself says that fear, uh, that, that love, uh, you know, when it's perfect, there mm-hmm. is no fear in perfect love. Mm-hmm. But we still have to understand, and the saints talked about this, that there's still a kind of fear that remains that is cleansing, that's good. The fear of the Lord, the Old Testament says, the, the Bible says, is pure and it, it brings us to a righteous place. And so they said that, that in, in most of our lives, we kind of start out doing the right thing because of fear of punishment. That, uh, you know, we may do it with our parents and ultimately with God. Maybe we start out saying, well, if I'm going to be punished for doing this wrong thing, I better do the right thing. And they say, okay, that's where a lot of people have to start. Um, it still keeps you out of trouble. Uh, just like it does for us when we're kids, to to keep us out of trouble. To you know, parents say, "Don't go do this." Mm-hmm, or it's mm-hmm. gonna... uh, but then, as we grow more, the next stage is what they call the the fear of of a servant, that uh, someone who's making. Uh, you're kind of making a wage, you might say, is getting reward from the goodness. So as the first ones are just fear of punishment, like a slave is worried about being punished, someone who's earning wages and says, okay, I'm doing the good thing because I want want the results that are good, the benefits. 
And that's okay too, and you know, benefits of eternal life. But that ultimately we we come close enough to God, the desire, the the goal, is to come close enough to God that we will do the right thing, become holy, grow in holiness, because we fear anything that will come between mm. ourselves and the one who has become our greatest friend. And we can understand that kind of fear too. That how many things that with people that you know, your spouse or other really close friends, what keeps you from doing something wrong mm. is if it would come between you. You don't want that. Yep. And so Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he said um, to, to his disciples, you know, before now you've been my servants. Now I call you my friends. There was a growth in their love for him. And so that's really how I like to look at all these things is that as we grow, and maybe for some people, the place they start is, I don't want to go to hell because I don't want to you know, suffer the torment there. But ultimately, what we want to say is, I don't want to go to hell because he's not there. This Lord Jesus that I love so much, this God that I love so much that created me, redeemed me, holds me in existence moment by moment by his love. Beautiful. He's there. He's yep. in heaven. I want to be where he is. What will it take to nice. be where he is face to face for eternity? You've been listening to Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, a special two-part episode, which is the way it's going to be for the next seven weeks. The first part is going to be the Family Road Trip podcast. You listen to episode one, leading us on an adventure into the very heart of Christ's Mass. And then part one of a great interview with Dr. Paul Thigpen, who has great insight on the church's teaching of hell and what it means for us to understand it more deeply. So stay tuned. We'll be back next week with episode two of the Family Road Trip podcast and the conclusion of this great interview with Dr. Paul Thigpen. God bless you. Have a great night.